If you want to take your Bible and be finding the book of Psalm 10, we'll be turning there in just a moment. Psalm 10. I have to confess that I haven't seen this many pale faces in a long time. Amen. <laughs> we, uh, we have our groups come out and they help us during the summertime and, and, uh, the Sioux people, the Lakota Sioux, there are seven bands of Sioux. We work with the Lakota and Oglala Lakota. And uh, they have a wonderful sense of humor. They really do. And uh, they like uh, to cut up. They cut up with me. I cut up with them. We have our teams come out. And, and I might say something in the service, you know, like, now, folks, I want you to understand, these are our friends. They've come to help us this week, so... <clears throat> we're not going to take any scalps this week. You understand? <clears throat> now I've had people ask me, "Do do they are they still taking scalps?" And I, I might say, "Well, if you don't support us, they might." Amen. But but it is a joy to be here. It really is. The preacher mentioned Barney. It, I hadn't thought this in ages. Uh, my mind went back years ago. I was preaching a meeting in Alabama. And the pastor introduced me on the first night. He said, how many of you have ever watched Andy Griffith? And everybody, of course, raised their hand. And he said, how many of you remember Ernest T. Bass? And they all raised their hand. And he said, that's Brother Ken's uncle. And he never said anything else, whatever there. He just left it as that. And so uh, I got up. I went right along with it. And I... And I was in that church for several years, and without fail, someone would always say to me, your uncle is my favorite person on Andy Griffith. <laughs> so I still think Ernest T. Bass is my uncle, but it's a joy to be here. Uh, Sherry and I were talking. We could not be where we are on the reservation or doing what we do or have done over the years if it hadn't been for others. Uh, we do first of all, entirely upon our God to take care of us. But he uses people like you. And uh, you folks have been a very unique and a very special blessing to us over the years. have many churches that support us, uh, but there are some that we know carry us in their heart. And uh, this church has been one of them. And you are, I mean this, and I'm not just saying it because I'm here, you folks have been very, very special to us in many, many ways. And Miss Judy, the church, everybody, uh, there's so many things there that uh, that you have done for us and, and that you are seeing, you are evident every Sunday that we gather. And uh, we appreciate it so much. And uh, we thank God for you again. You have been special. Your pastor was so thrilled that he got to come out a few years ago. And then Sunday morning, I saw a fellow walk in the back door, and I thought, that looks like Toby. And uh, I was not expecting that, but we're so thrilled that he's got to be with us. Wish you all could be with us. And uh, we are just completed our 10th year, now working on our 11th year. In fact, I was trying to think this morning, I think maybe I was in here here in March, April, right before we left to go to the reservation. So it's been right at 11 years since we were here. And, uh, but I wish you all could, uh, see what you have been a part of. 
It has been an amazing journey. And I remember when we were talking about going to Pine Ridge, someone said to us, said, you don't want to go to Pine Ridge. And they started, and always we were hearing about the problems there. And, and like all reservations, they do have their problems. And Pine Ridge is probably the epitome of them all. You can think of all the reservations and the problems and the needs, and they are just amplified on Pine Ridge. But everybody said, you don't want to go to Pine Ridge. But I said to Sherry one day, I said, that's where somebody needs to be going if it is that bad. And uh, they have all of these needs. That's where somebody needs to go. And uh, it is far, far exceeded anything that, uh, that we ever anticipated. And you are a part of it. So Walridge Baptist Church, I thank you from the depths of my heart. I mean that. And uh, you are, it's, I could probably there's about five churches and shouldn't say this maybe publicly, but there's about five churches that have been very, very, very special to us, and you are one of them. And so we thank God for you. I'm excited to be here this week with you. I hope you'll be back every night. I've tried to contact some folks, invite them to come. We're going to have some of our family coming up from Chattanooga maybe tomorrow night, and then our grandson and his family and our new great-granddaughter. She will be here on Tuesday night, so we haven't seen her yet. And our children, I guess one of the things that we probably miss is the fact we see so little of our children. So if we ever have an opportunity, uh, we take advantage of and look forward to meeting them. But anyway, Psalm 10, I want to try this morning to just give you something that I hope will be an encouragement to you and that will be a help to you. And then, of course, through the week, as the Lord leads us, we'll deal with more things. But I want you to notice Psalm 10. And in verse 1, he uses a word twice. It's probably a word that you have all used before. Yes, you can stand. Psalm 10, verse 1, he said, why? Have you ever asked yourself why things that happen in life? Things you go through in life. If you ever find yourself asking why. The psalmist said why. He's asking God. Standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them. The wicked be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesses the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance, listen to this, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud, and under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. 
talking about the wicked. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth them into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? For he hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. I love this. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble, but wilt prepare their hearts. Thou wilt prepare their hearts. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are honored and blessed and thankful to once again be back at Walridge Baptist Church. We can never thank you enough for the part, the place that they have in our hearts and lives, as well as among the Lakota people of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I pray you would bless them richly and abundantly for all that they have done for us as well as others. Meet with us in these days. It's not so much the people need to hear from me, but we certainly need to hear from you. And so we ask you now that you might take your word in every service and bless it and break it to the feeding of our heart and to the meeting of our need. You know the need in this room this morning. I pray that you will speak to hearts and be honored and be glorified. And I pray you'll work and do what is needed now in Jesus' name. And for his sake we pray, amen. Again, I ask you the question, have you ever found yourself asking God why something has happened? If you have, then you're not alone. For in Psalm 10, we find the psalmist Twice in the first verse along, asking God why. I remember years ago standing in a funeral home with a family. Their father had died. And they had prayed often that God would heal him. And I remember one of the daughters asking me, Preacher, Brother Ken, why didn't God heal my daddy? We prayed so much that God would heal him. Why didn't God heal my daddy? I have found over these years that why is a very easy question to ask. But it's a very difficult question to answer. We often in life, we want answers. And we even plead for answers. 
But the simple truth is, we don't always know why things happen in our life. And it's possible we may never know the reason. There are just times that we just do not know. But I have found this in the Bible, that it's not unusual for somebody in the Bible to ask God why. But I have found that God seldom ever answered the question. That when someone said, God, why is this happening? Or why did this occur? Or why are you not doing this? God rarely ever answered the question. But instead, he turned their focus in a different direction. He turned their attention to him so that they would see in him things that would settle their heart in their times of asking why. Psalm 10, I want us to look at it. And David begins by asking why, but then God begins to turn his focus and begins to get David to look at certain things in a different light or in a certain light. You notice in the very beginning that it seems in Psalm 10 that God is hiding. He begins the psalm by speaking about how it appears that God is hiding from him. He said in verse 1, Why standest thou afar off? And why hidest thyself, notice, in times of trouble? God, why are you hiding yourself when I need you so desperately? You look at the psalm and it wrestles with an age-old problem and an age-old question. Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper, but the godly seem to suffer? Why is it that good things are happening to bad people, but bad things are happening to good people? That is the heart of what is going on in Psalm 10. You look closer at the psalm, and the psalmist is asking why, because they were basically two things that were troubling him. He noticed, first of all, how haughty the ungodly were. He noticed the ungodly were very haughty. He begins verse 2 talking about the wicked. And he uses that name three times in verses 2 through 11. And the concept of the word wicked that is used here is of someone that has broken God's law and is guilty of breaking God's law. It's describing someone that is lawless. It is describing somebody that is ungodly. It is a word that is used to speak of those who have done wrong and they are intent on doing wrong. And they have no remorse for what they have done wrong. He speaks about their pride in verse 2. And he talks about the extent of their haughtiness. That their pride, their haughtiness arises from their attitude about God. He said in verse 4, the wicked, through the pride or the haughtiness of his countenance, will not seek after God. Then he says God is not in all his thoughts. They don't know God and they have no desire to know God. They don't honor God. They don't even 
think about God. Verse 11 said, he has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Of course, the psalmist is speaking of those who think that they can live the way they please. And we have it in our own day and time. We think we can do whatever we want, do anything that we want to do, live any way we want to live, and that there is no accountability. After all, God doesn't pay attention to what I am doing. God doesn't see what I do. He's not beholding or looking down on me. He's speaking of those that were arrogant in their behavior, an attitude about God. And when the psalmist looked at it, it bothered him. Lord, how is it that those who dishonor you and those that have no honor of you, they don't even think about you, how is it that they seem to prosper in everything they do? And furthermore, they seem to get by with it. They live any way they want to. They do whatever they want to do. But you don't seem to be paying any attention. He said, Lord, where are you? Why are you not reacting? Why are you not doing something about the ungodliness that we see? But he not only was troubled by the fact that he saw how haughty were the ungodly, but he was troubled by the fact that he saw how hurting were the godly. Here was the ungodly. In their haughtiness. But here was the godly and how they were hurting. He talks about the wicked, but you also notice in verse 2 that he talks about the poor. And he uses this word five times in verses 2 through 11. And the word here speaks of more than somebody living in poverty. It is a word that is used to speak of those who are oppressed or those that are afflicted. When he's talking about the poor in the psalm, he's talking about those that are facing difficult and distressing situations in their life. You add to all they were going through, there was the behavior of the wicked toward them. Verse 2, he talks about how they persecute the poor. And the word persecute has the ideal of burning. It's like there is not only they have no thought of God, but there is a contempt toward those who do believe in God and those who want to honor God. He looks at all of this and he struggles with it. Why is it the ungodly seem to be getting by with everything? Why is it that the ungodly seem to have no problems But on the other hand, the godly, it seems that's all they have is problems. Again, it's the question, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you felt the same way. You do your best to please God. You want to honor him. You love him. He saved you. And since he saved you, you desire to live for him. You want to do what is right. You want to please God in everything that you do. But it seems like every time you turn around, your world is being knocked upside down. It's like one situation after another. It's like one problem after another. And you wonder, where is God? 
God, why are you not helping me? Lord, why are you seemingly so far off in my life? Why are you hiding? It's like God could care less about what you're going through. It's like God doesn't care that you are struggling financially. It's like God doesn't seem to be interested that you are hurting and that you are suffering. On top of everything else, there is the ones that seem to dishonor you and they seem to prosper in everything. He is questioning these things and it appears that God is hiding. And so he says, why? Lord, I don't understand this. Here's a paradox of life, Lord, that I am struggling with. Lord, we're wanting to please you. I want to glorify you. But, Lord, I am overwhelmed every way I turn. Why is this going on? Why are you hiding? As I said, God doesn't answer his question. And seldom does he ever give us an answer when we ask why. What he did in this situation is he turned the eyes of David To another direction. And he began to show that where David. He's questioning that God is hiding. But God turned his eyes to the fact that God was helping. That God even though he appeared was hiding. He was helping. Notice down in verse 14 what he said. He said thou God you have seen it. For thou, you behold the mischief and the spite. And you do deal with it to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. And thou art the helper of the father, helper of the fatherless. I think that is a wonderful title for God. What a wonderful name for God that he is the helper of the fatherless. It's like Psalm 54, 4 said, Behold, God is mine helper. The writer of Hebrews said, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. He is a God that is our helper. The word helper comes from a word that speaks of how God comes to our aid. And how God comes to the assistance of those that need him. Martin Luther's favorite psalm, he said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. When he talked about God being a helper of the fatherless, the word literally means a fatherless child. And used in its broadest terms, it's not just someone that's without parents. But in its broadest terms, it embraces anyone that is afflicted. Anyone that is defenseless, anyone that is oppressed, and anyone that is suffering. You may be without a father in this world, but you are not without a father in heaven. And he is the helper of the fatherless. God wanted David to see, you think I'm hiding. I want you to understand I'm actually helping. Notice in verse 14. He reminds David that he is a father who will not forget his promise. Said in verse 14, thou hast seen it. In the beginning of the psalm, he's questioning and the wicked are saying, God doesn't see what we're doing. 
But David comes to an understanding. Oh, yes, he does. That God sees everything. The wicked, they seem to be getting by with their sin. But David begins to see that God's not blind to what is going on. He's not blind to their attitude. He's not blind to their actions. He said, behold, he said, thou beholdest mischief and spite. You see it. And you were requited. You're going to deal with it in your own hand. The old writer Adam Clark said, nothing escapes his notice. And he has not forgotten his justice, though judgment is not speedily executed on an evil work. Just because you may think that you are getting by with your sin, don't think for a moment that you will ultimately get by with your sin. God is a loving God and a patient God, but sees everything and there is the day of payday. But the psalmist is, God is reminding the psalmist that he had not and that he would not forget his promise. That his promise to judge sin, he said he's, he's reminding David, I will judge sin as I have said. And just like his promise to judge sin will come true, there is his promise to help those that are needy. And we can be equally certain that God will help us and he'll keep his promise. I guess if anything we've learned over the past 11 years is that God keeps his word. And that God keeps every promise when you have no one but him. I remember when we first moved there and we had sold our home in Chattanooga and we had put the money aside and we thought we'll take this money. We, we got a, a filth wheel that we lived in for about five years and a, and a truck to pull it. But we took other money, money we had, and we set it aside to put it away in case of emergencies and that kind of thing. When we first got on the reservation, we got there on May the 17th, 2012. And it seemed like in the very beginning that we were totally forgotten. It really did. We got there with all of our expectations and we found a property that we began to renovate and different things to use and whatever. And we had all these needs and, and we're praying about all these needs. But it's like when we got there, it's like we were completely forgotten. And I began to wonder, has everybody forgotten us? Is anyone aware that we are now here? And so we found that property, an old building. We had to put about $40,000 into it just to get it to where we could use it. It was an old building that had uh, been sitting empty for several years, horses and cows, and had been staying it. You can imagine what it's like, but we didn't. there was not a lot of buildings that you can get on the reservation. And so we started using our own money and we were buying this and buying that. And I was watching it day after day. What we had put aside began to dwindle and go down and down until we finally got down to just a couple of thousands of dollars. I remember one day I was writing and I was really worried about that and struggling with that and asking God about it. I said, Lord, we are using everything. Why? Lord, you don't seem to be hearing our prayers. And it's like God said to me, well, why do you think I gave you that money in the first place? And I heard him clearly and I said, I understand. And I said, it is all yours. And we took everything we had to our name. 
Everything we had from our home that we'd sold, everything we had. And when it got down and we used the last penny, God suddenly opened the windows of heaven and it started coming in from every direction. And I learned in that day that as long as I had that money, I trusted in that money. But when I had nothing but God, then I began to trust Him. And when I found that you could trust God, He would keep every promise that He'd ever made. God said, David, you think I'm hiding. I'm actually here helping you. And I will not forget my promise that I made to you. Just because God hasn't answered your prayer doesn't mean that he's not going to. He's a God of Father that will not forget his promise. And he also learned that he's a Father who will not forsake his people. God will not forget his promises and neither will he forsake you, his child. Verse 14, he said, the poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. And again, you ought to underline the words. He is the helper of the fatherless. He's saying to to me and you, he knows where you are at this morning. He knows what you are going through. He knows your burden. He knows your trial. A child's got you worried sick. God knows that. He sees your anxiety. He knows all about it. And He is the one that will come to your aid and help you in His own time. That's why He said in Hebrews, we think about it and rejoice in it, I will never leave thee nor forsaketh. In fact, He talked about the poor, the needy, how they committeth themselves unto Him. That word committeth literally means to leave something. And what he's describing is the needy have come to God and they have laid their needs, or needs before him and they have left them at his throne. And our needs and our burdens and all of the things we're going through, all that God asks is that we come to him and take our needs and our burdens and just lay them at his feet and leave them in his care, knowing that he will not forget his promise and he will not forget his people. I love the promise, trust in the Lord in Psalm 62, 8. At all times, ye people, and pour out your heart before him. You have a need today, then you pour your heart out. He's saying to the psalmist, He feels that God is hiding, but he reminds him, no, I'm helping. But then he also taught him something else. Not only that he was helping, but he was also hearing. Psalmist said, God is hiding. But God says, no, I'm helping. And I am hearing. Look what he said in verse 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. He's not only the helper of the fatherless, but he has heard the desire of the humble and the needy. He said, thou will prepare their heart, thou will cause thine ear to hear. You see, God is not only here to help you, but he is also a God that hears when you cry out to him. Just like a mother hears the slightest cry of a newborn baby, your God in heaven hears your groans and he hears your prayers. Verse 17, he describes someone with a 
suffering heart, the desire of the humble, the cry of the humble. And he's speaking of how there is someone with a hurting heart and they are crying out to God. There is a suffering heart. Again, may I say it this morning. I know very little about you today. I know you as a church as a whole, but personally, I don't know where you at, where you are at in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. You can tell him about everything. You can talk to him about every need when you are burdened with the needs of life and the cares. You can tell God about it. When your heart is broken by things that happen, you can tell God about it. No matter what your need, what you are going through, you can tell God about it. Say, oh, brother Ken, I need help. Then tell him that's what you need. Oh, brother Ken, I need peace. Then ask him for peace. I need my heart to be comforted. Then tell him he is your father. He's not some distant deity in heaven that has forbid you to come to him. He is a father that helps us. And he's wanting you to come and say, Father, I am hurting. Lord, I am struggling. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Tell him about it. A suffering heart. But he describes a settled heart. He spoke about how God will prepare their heart. See that word prepare, it literally means to make firm or to establish. Here is someone so unsettled, but he comes to God and cries out to God and God calms his heart and God settles his heart. I remember in Chattanooga before we left to go to the mission field, a lady in our church with the name of Mrs. Alice Watts. She was perhaps one of the most godly people that I ever met in my life. She loved the Lord. Her and her husband lit, had a little house literally beside the railroad tracks. I mean, here's the railroad tracks and here was their old mill house. And they had very little. But again, if I go by there, I'd ask Miss Watts, I wouldn't say, Miss Watson, I want to pray for you. I'd say, Miss Watson, I want you to pray for me. And she was a godly lady. But I remember when Lip was in the hospital, been in there several days. And I went by to see him one day. And when I opened the door, there's nobody in the room. But the body was on the, I knew the minute I stepped in the room that Lip was gone. I walked out of the room, went down to the nurse's desk and I said, can you tell me where the Watts family is? And they took me to a private room. I remember I stepped in there and said, Miss Watts and her daughter. And I walked over and sat down beside her and I reached over and took her by the hand. I said, Miss Watts, I am so sorry. And she had a cry that just tear your heart out. And she just cried like a little baby. She said, oh, brother Ken, what am I going to do? She said, Brother Ken, what am I going to do? Lit took care of everything. He did this. He did that. She said, said, Brother Ken said, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it without him? I was there when the family came to view the body for the first time. And when she saw him laying there, she broke down again in that little cry of hers and just sobbed, saying, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I remember the day of the funeral. 
I remember they came in. The building was full that day. Everybody loved the Watts family. The building was full and they brought Miss Watts in, brought her and her family. And they brought them down and set them right in the middle section, right there on the second row. And I noticed during the service, the singing, she just, just had that smile like she always did in the choir, little head nodding like that. And during the message and things like that, they was just, it was just seemed to be a peace and a calm about her. I remember we were walking out. We went to the back door and led the pallbearers out with the body, got to the back door. And she's very feeble. She's in her 80s at the time. And I remember I walked back and and I took her by the arm and walked her to the family car. And I'll never forget as long as I live what she said to me that day. We was walking and she's been over and she looked up and she said, you know, Brother Ken, I've been wondering what I was going to do. I've been wondering, worried about how I was going to make it. She paused and then she said, but you know, Brother Ken, the Lord helped me today. He helped me today. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you come here this morning. Had a smile when you got out of the parking lot. I know how Baptists are. We we get up on Sunday morning. It was something about Sunday morning. Can't find your Bible. Can't find your shoes. Can't find your ties. Kids hadn't got out of bed. You're running around. You're fussing. And you, you've, you've griped and fussed all the way to church. But when you get out of the car, oh, how you doing? It's the Lord's day. I know how Baptists are. Me and Sherry, we drove separate cars for years, and but for, for because of time and schedule. But for years, when we would go to church, we would always get in the car, and the boys is in the back, and we'd all pray one at a time. I'd have oldest pray, and then the next one pray, and the next one pray. Sherry pray, and then I'd pray. Someone would say, "Oh, you're being spiritual." No, kept us from fighting. And I mean, we, you know how that goes. I know how Baptists are. You came this morning. Nobody knew, knows the week you've had. And nobody knows what you're struggling with but you. That's what you think, but there is a God. Your God's not hiding today. Your God is where He's always been. He is helping. He is hearing. And all that He wants us to do is to bring our need and lay it at the feet of Jesus. I guess one of the things that we have enjoyed so much over the years is watching the native people learn to trust God with their needs when they have nothing. We live in the poorest county in the United States of America. They have nothing. But we've watched them learn to begin to trust God and learn to pray about things and found that they, they, have, they have learned that he is the helper of the fatherless and that he is... The one that hears the prayer of the poor. I don't know you need today. Maybe you just need to come and just tell God about it. Just tell him. You don't have to pray, oh, thou great Jehovah, who hooped up the mountains with your hand. You don't have to go through all of that. Oh, thou omnipotent one. Just fall at his feet and say, Father, I need you. I don't know what to do. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to think this way. God, you got to help me. And he's there. It's like a earthly father is going to take you in his arms and love you 
Your father is here today to help you. Will you let him help you? Let's stand. Our father this morning in Jesus name. Oh, there are times when we feel you are hiding. And we don't know why. But father, like the psalmist. We begin to understand that even when it seems you are far off, you're there to help us. You're hearing us. And Lord, today, you know the need in this place. We love this pastor and his family so much. And we love this church so much. And I ask you today, Lord, to help those who need your help. Reach out to them at this very moment. Touch their heart. May they all... May they have a wonderful sense of a God that is here for them and that they can come to him and leave everything in his hands. Meet the need now in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.